Welcome to this week's episode of Toys on Tap. This week we bring on a fantastic artist, Whistling Pony. He has coined himself as the anti-action figure, action figure maker, and I'm excited to dive into what that means with all of you. If you want more Toys on Tap, you can like, follow, rate, review wherever you get podcasts. You can follow on socials at Toys on Tap. You want a little bit more of Toys on Tap, a little 20 to 30 minutes extra called The Nitty Gritty can be found on Patreon, and you can get access for as little as $3 a month. Patreon.com slash Toys on Tap. Now let's jump into this artist on this episode of Toys on Tap. really pumped that you're on today um i know that it, you might have been uh a little nervous to come on but because it's your first podcast but you did it you're here uh, uh we've been in uh shows together uh through dke which is awesome um and we've actually never even met which again still okay still awesome um but you do things with toys or with art that is different and that's what drove me to try to get to you um, because I want to talk through some of them because I I don't understand the concepts, but I know that there's something going on in that brain of yours. So uh, before we start anything, will you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Okay, well, my name is Steven Singer, and um, I work at a major research university in a library. I'm a computer consultant. I also do exhibits within there as well. I did my undergrad work at Purchase College, where I majored in painting, and I recently got a master's in museum studies just during high COVID. So art is, just from that little bit, art is your life, which is being someone that, like, art is that part of your life, and then being in the realm of making toys, like, that validates toys a lot in my head, which is awesome, and I do like that. Um, and so I do want to dive into schooling and stuff and art background. Uh, before we do that, this is a toy podcast. You're a kid. You're growing up. Tell me about the toys that you had growing up, if you were the kid that collected, that smashed them to pieces, all that stuff. I guess one of my first memories, and you know, once again, dating myself, is um, you know those like Aurora kits from the, the 60s, like the, the Frankenstein, Dracula, sort of never had those. That was slightly before my time, but yeah, I guess Aurora was kind of running out of steam, or maybe their licensings were was um, running out, so they turned their attention towards dinosaurs. So there's a mm. whole set of Aurora prehistoric kits. So I had almost all of those growing Man. up to, during, during the 70s. I, I was a Godzilla fan, but back then you just couldn't turn on the TV or even get a video of it or something. You're kind of at the mercy of the airwaves when it came to that. No collectibles whatsoever. Okay. Until probably the mid-80s or something like that. So I saw Star Wars when it came out. I guess I was the uh, the target, Lucas's target audience, because I was 10 years old um, mm -hmm. when it when it first came out. And I got the action figures, had like the, what do they call those? The, the 12 bats or something like that. Yeah. Played with us for a couple of years and tossed them in the trash. Which is what anybody <laughs> else did, but... Yeah, I mean, and is that kind of the the realm in which we we stop? You have that kind of stuff, but then by the end of that era, you're 
pushing 20s. Like, and so toys is really 70s and 80s for you a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I collected on and off. I kind of like the oddball stuff and the Matchbox Robotech. I had those. The gem dolls were very attractive to me just because they were just truly outrageous, literally and figuratively. And, but, you know, I never got into Ninja Turtles or seemed to be kind of hot properties these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I went to art school. And purchase, which was pretty much outside of New York City, so we'd spend weekends, like in Lower Manhattan and Chinatown yeah. and whatnot. And that's when I encountered my first Safubi, which was an Ella King by Bandai, probably 1984 version. He's just, I was used to Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla, that's that sort of thing. But this thing seemed to be a whole order of bizarre, yeah, different because it like it looked like a. We just kind of discussed this a little bit before. It looked like a man in a suit, but it looked like kind of like an elk, but it also kind of looked like Native American motif. But it had these odd antlers on it. it had no face, no fingers, and no hands and toes or anything like that. And it was just so just unlike an anything I'd seen before. Yeah, and that just that's what attracted to me. And I was pretty much hooked after that. Yeah. What is so? Uh, being in art school. Um, there's something that's in you that wants to go to that type of a school. What what made you go to art school, and then what was your primary study there? Is it, um, was it like a specific style of art, or is it art history, like art over? What were we doing? Well, I guess it's kind of a complex question. Uh, there's like two schools of thought, right? There's like yeah, certain stress set that's like, oh, you go to you go to school and you get like entrenched in a process and they kind of beat it out of you and that sort of thing and then i'm more of the attitude is like you kind of get out of it what you put into it so i kind of went there for undergrad anyway to kind of learn process be ex exposed to different processes as well as art history just mm -hmm. kind of in a more formal way so i can kind of expand beyond that so um i liked painting because um oil painting just because of the viscosity of it and you could kind of work with it and push it around the campus and the colors are quite vibrant. So, you know, painting is all about the narrative, but it's also about edge relationships, color, surface, and that sort of thing. And I apply that to what we're going to talk about today, the action figure format, as well as I do that in um, my exhibit work as well. I, I kind of see an exhibit in a painterly way. It's like you have objects and they have mm -hmm. to be juxtaposed next to each other as they are in a canvas. So you're kind of painting with objects, so to speak, and kind of building up a narrative that way. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, art history wise, it kind of comes off in the, in the Jenny project a lot. I, um, I guess I'm kind of conservative, but I, I like, you know, the Dada and that sort of fluxus and that sort of conceptualism as well as pop art, which I feel is kind of a, an offshoot of that if, if you know we can talk about photography and all that but you have cubism which is kind of like um different types of cubism but you have analytical cubism which kind of takes the world and tries to reinterpret it Empire Blister. Empire Blisters. 
specializing in action figure blisters. 2.75 inch or 1 inch inch. 19 different styles. Two, two sizes of clamshell figure cases. Four, four different bulk pack options. Quantities of 100. 100. Sample packs available. Empire, Empire blisters. Now functioning toys on tap. That means a 10% off coupon on checkout. Use code toys on tap 10. That's C-O-Y-S-O-N-T-A-P-1-0. Empire blisters. On canvas in two dimensions, but I think pop art is the same way, but it's taking culture and it's reassembling that interpret interpret it in a new way as well. Depending on the pop artist, of course. But I think of him. Rosenquist perhaps is the my favorite pop artist. Yeah. This is already by far one of my favorite conversations because you're doing something that not a lot of people do. They'll say phrases like Dada or Cubism or pop culture. Um, but they become these like flashes in a pan where they have an inability to explain it. But as you're talking about it, you're like telling me and those listening, like, this is what this is. This is how we do this. And I think, um, I, maybe it was Einstein. If you can't explain it simple enough, you don't know it well enough. And so the fact well, that I think there's a paraphrase quote about that as well. It's like, I, I think the, um, the genius is someone who can explain the complex things simply. Yeah, which is helpful because I'm not a painter. I like I did uh, mural work, but it wasn't with a brush. It was with spray paint, and it uh, like the parts that were with a brush were stenciled. So it was like I'm not working in the same kind of field, and so it's very helpful. So thank you so much for that. Um, and I, so I don't claim I don't claim to be an expert or anything like that. <laughs> by the way, I just on this episode you are the expert you're the one teaching me which is nice so you you're in this school and you go to chinatown if i heard you correctly mm -hmm. and you see this safubi piece which we all have those toys that kind of unlock something in us that's like this is it uh you see it um before we continue on to the jenny project and more of like graduation and art and stuff is this where collecting Safubi starts? Did you did you buy yeah, that piece? I, I would say, yeah, I did buy that piece. And okay. they were very, very inexpensive in those. They were like three bucks or something like that. Oh, my gosh. Which would probably be about $6 today. Um, not that, that the Ultra Monster series doesn't have tremendous value individually um, compared to, like, designer toys and things like that. Although the prices seem to be rising on those as well. Um yeah, so one became three, three became nine, and... Here we go. What yeah, is the exactly. magic number that you currently own in your collection of Safubi pieces? Interesting you should ask. I have this right in my notes right here. Uh, <laughs> one of my uh, COVID projects uh, was to catalog my entire collections. I have two major collections. One is uh, I collect uh, vinyl records, so vinyl and vinyl, I guess. Because I like uh, music as object. If, if that makes sense. So, you know, you have digital media or whatever, but there's something about a Sex Pistols album from 1977 that has traveled down in time Yeah. from the UK and is now in my hands. Um, anyway, that's music as object. Primarily collect New Wave, uh, like 77 to 84, primarily UK and primarily female vocals. That being said, with that collection, I have uh, 8,284 pieces. And that's that. vinyl. That's primarily vinyl, but it's other objects as well. I just got a collection right now today of, I collect um, badges, otherwise known as pins. Mm -hmm. All Punk and New Wave ones, it's like a lot of 100 there, so those kind okay. of turn me on as well. Uh, 
Those get expensive these days. But anyway, uh, talking about Safubi, I have it's about two thousand four hundred and twenty-four pieces. Oh my gosh, that's that is an insane collection. And uh, I mean, well, that's that's a speaking of you know, I work at a library, so the cataloging part turns me on as well. That took months and months because I don't speak um, or read Japanese, so, yeah. and a lot of them don't have packaging. That's attracts them to me as well as it's yeah. Like, you know, I don't collect action figures, so we'll get into yeah. that, but I don't like all the packaging that you have to rip something open to experience it, then you ruin it by opening it up. So the Safubi is nice because it's pretty much like a bag and a header card, and I don't feel too bad about opening that up. Um, so anyway, a lot of them come without those bags and header cards, so researching it is often a challenge because I don't collect by series, um, like Ultraman or something like that. Mm -hmm. I just collect by the visual look of it. Mm. I researched it after the fact, but it's more important to me what it looks like and how it feels and that kind of visceral feeling you get to it artistically yeah. as, an, as a sculptural object than what it represents. Because I say I'm not a nostalgic collector because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not. I'm not after kind of seeking out those toys I had during my childhood and that sort of thing. I just, I just don't collect that way. Wow. It is uh, crazy. One, that's an early time to see Safubi and then start collecting. But then two, to have it kick off to the point where you now have over 2,000 pieces and cataloged is an insane feat. So, like, uh, bravo. But also, like, what was funny is when we kind of talked about this um, a little bit, I initially was going to ask you about like, oh, toy collecting. And I think the phrase you gave back was like, I, I don't collect toys. And then we started talking about Safubi and you said, yeah, I have all these Safubi toys. And I was like, what is that? And you talked about your collection. So it's like that it's there's a distinction, which is cool. And then there's a huge uh, collector in you, especially with the 8000 vinyl. Well, I might have misspoke. A little bit when I said toys, but I guess it comes down to the mindset once again. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I like the, we could spend a whole hour talking about kind of the evolution of the form as well. Once again, I'm not an expert, but you know, you think of the first Mario San and Bullmark and things like that. Those were quickly made and for children. And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the shows came out and, you know, they just said, all right, we need these on the, the store shelves by next Tuesday or something like that. So you could see like an Earthtron or something that's like, I have one that actually has a thumbprint, mm. you know, stuck in the sculpt itself. So just that kind of raw, simple. Um, they often don't actually look like the kaiju they're meant to represent. So, but mm. that's not important to the child that represents that, um, which is kind of the essence of it um, to me. I forget where, what the question was exactly, but... Oh, I was just clamoring so, uh, over the fact that you have okay. a huge collection. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, I think that's cool. I, I like the idea that the toys don't actually match, right? Like old Star Wars toys, they have a likeness uh, to the faces. Exa or to exactly. The well, but, and the, the 26 Aliens project um, speaks directly to that as well as speaking to AI. It's like out of the package, is, you know, it's just a little Darth Vader or something like that, especially the, the early things. But um, it's kind of a totem or a, a fetish object in a non-sexual way to a child, which allows you to role play and use that object to kind of, you know, relive that sort of experience you had. And the package informs the object once again, because you have like a still from a film or something like that, which yeah. kind of 
heightens that kind of representation of the plastics away. Mm -hmm. So they kind of work together in concert to do that until you rip it open. Um, but yeah. So in the, I mean, that's so much, I, in the, the creation of your art journey following art school and going forward, um, are you spending, I know you like oil paints, are you spending time doing that? At what point do we start kind of cracking into what it looks like to do different forms well, and toys? That's a little a more personal because I was out of undergrad for a number of years, kind of mm -hmm. flitted about, you know, how life happens between that. Didn't do a lot of art. Oil painting is, if not expensive, it's messy and mm -hmm. takes up a lot of space and whatnot. Um, so if, I don't know if you want to just get right into the the modern era or whatnot. Let's Maybe dabble a little bit like, in, okay. in painting. Let's, okay. I, I kind of want to hear, because I think so much about art, like so much of what I did prior to making toys informs how I make toys and the process that I go through to do so. Can you talk to me about that? If you're going through oil painting, which is crazy and messy and takes up a lot of space, how does that kind of inform you moving into doing stuff with toys? Good question. Um, well, thematically, back then, I was, if I had to come up with a term for it, I would call it, not facetious either, um, abstract realism. Mm -hmm. And that the forms themselves are abstracted, allegorical, you know, often dealing with like flesh in not a literal way, but the specificity of surface is there. So it's realistically painted, mm -hmm. uh, you know, skin or whatever Tina you want to speak of. And then in those kind of allegorical forms, yeah. um, so to speak, when I'm just coming to the connection right now, which um, we working in with AI as well, is how I kind of treat that in a similar way of kind of the juxtaposing of the image uh, with the representation, so to speak. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Um, so I just kind of stopped doing oil painting after a while, got it kind of entrenched with life and tried different mediums out. We interrupt this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2! We must crash land on DKE Toy Planet! Oh my! We're doomed! Wait! Salvation! Hooray! We're saved, DOV2! Limited edition custom artist-made action figures at DKE Toys! Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures! DKE! sure what year it was announced all kind of foggy foggy but it was like 2013 or 2015 or so i just kind of i was amused um i forget the name of the artist now do you know that piece that's um it's called alien man i think and has like um just a man's body and then the geiger alien head on top of it it's like a it's like an early piece it's probably from like Oh, it could be a Sucklord piece. That seems yes, right up no, his alley. I don't think it's Sucklord. It's um, I'm going to be embarrassed because we're like we're still friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he did a yeah. piece like that, and it's just uh, he did he did one of like Bruce from Jaws, uh, which seems very tame today. Uh, it's, it was just 
a shark that he put in there and rebranded it with that packaging for yeah. a couple little barrels he made in there. But but then um, it was it just really amused me how like um, how kind of ballsy it was to just kind of like make fun of something like that. Um, mm-hmm. If that makes sense, because I, I have like a I came up with like a what did I call it? A naive, naive attempt at pigeonholing like the type of action <laughs> figures that are named. So you know, once again, I'm, I'm really not part of this whole tableau of what's going on here, and, and you know, that's fine. I, I like to work that way. But uh, if you're interested, I would say there's the traditional action figure, you know, something that's store bought that a kind of a company makes and something mm-hmm. like that. And then there's what I would call. Um, Related to that is the bootleg figure, which is made to deceive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's meant to emulate as closely as possible to like kind of a cash grab, so to speak, um, and, and kind of fool somebody into purchasing it, thinking it's the real thing. Then you have the custom or the fantasy figure. That's uh, like this character from this movie never existed, but I'm either going to customize this Darth Vader so it kind of looks more like this one scene that they never got a figure of or modify an existing figure to make a character which was never made into a figure before. So I call that the custom or fantasy figure market. Then there's the parody figure, which kind of takes an existing franchise and you know kind of extrapolates that often in humorous ways. And then there's what I would call the um, conceptual figure, and that's of a couple of varieties. There's the um, the, you know what Apache is? If I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that correctly. Yeah. Uh, I would consider what most people would call the bootleg figures actually Apache figure. And Apache is like has many of the characteristics of the thing. So mm-hmm. say it's Godzilla, which is an upright dinosaur with frills on its back and breathes fire or something like that. But it's Apache is different just enough that it's not really in sort of some copyright issue, but it has the um, the spirit of the thing yeah. within it. So I'd say a Apache um, action figure would be like in the spirit of you know a Star Wars figure or a bootleg figure or something like that, but is not representational of a particular licensed character. Yeah, and then you have the, the beyond that not to give it hierarchy or anything like that because they're almost the same i would say is the um abstract conceptual figure mm-hmm. um which is like it's not, like it sounds it either yeah it's where you dabble a lot yeah i do um <laughs> which what's great i love getting in the nitty-gritty of um action figure classification because it's it's important to me and my brain that those classifications exist um because so over my right shoulder these two toys, they're called Tortoise Warriors. They are South American uh, bootleg figures of Ninja Turtles. Nice. Uh, they encapsulate what that country was trying to do to steal an idea and go for it um, without going overboard, without changing. Like, this whole wall is just Ninja Turtle bootlegs. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And then I have figures that are... Um, indie toys that are made by the artists that come on the podcast and they do that, or what you would call the uh, Apache toys, um, it, where they also are a little different, but they also like they get sold by Dove and they get sold by these artists and they're great. Um, so I really love being able to classify action figures 
it helps me understand like when I want to collect something, this is kind of where it fits in my life or like in what I do. And so that's helpful. I like that you're you're adding to that. Um, well, and, I'm, and I won't get into it. It's like you kind of touched on the, the art toy as well. And it's yeah. like, you know, is it like, is it a pachi or, you know, is it, I, I kind of consider being sold in like a mainstream store or something mm-hmm. like um, Super 7 or something like that as, as being, you know, if not the purest type of action figure, that kind of like base that everything else kind of like spawns out of. Yeah. Um, you dabble in the, like, in the abstract, and it's it's my favorite thing because some of your toys, they go up and they there's a message behind it. There's something going on, and it just fits right next to ours when Dove puts them up. It's, like, such a fun thing where it's like, this person made a Boba Fett. This person did, like, whatever, and then you have the hair from Star Wars characters with an AI design factor, which... I absolutely love that. How did you get to the point where abstract was what you were going to do? Because that takes it, – it's, it's it seems harder than other things because you are presenting a message in a different way. How did we get there? Well, I don't think that there's any journey or something of vision quest and kind of like doing that. It's just – As I said, I don't collect action figures. It kind of just amuses me the format does. And of course I grew up with them and a lot of us, you know, most of us did as well. Uh, but it's that kind of um artistic triangle, as I mm-hmm. kind of mentioned before. Um it's and it just all three of them just kind of work at once and it's fits in the hand and it simulates for me, I don't create product. I create things that look like product. Mm-hmm. So you can sell them, so I guess they are product in a sense, and, but it's, it's more of a pop object uh, meant for kind of a different head. But you have this um, triangle of image, object, and text, and all three of those are encapsulated within that kind of action figure format, and it's in a very finite, closed space, mm-hmm. and it's the way the three kind of dance together. It's like, how does the image inform the object? How does the object inform the text how does the text speak to that and just the way they dance around is just attractive to me so and that i think kind of begets that sort of conceptualism once you kind of break away from a franchise or something like that and just kind of see it as pure form then you can kind of build things on top of that and you do sometimes i will incorporate a franchise sometimes i won't sometimes i'll incorporate ai Sometimes I won't, and um, yeah. So that just kind of that kind of turns me on. And will it always be that way? I don't know. But it's you know I've been doing it since kind of since 2015 or so. I said with these kind of like little parody figures and and things which kind of replicate a franchise. But it's just as time has gone on, it's gotten more and more baroque, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. Um, but I also believe in come back to that. Uh, I believe in what's called onioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, I'm not sure if this phrase is commonly known. It's like you go to a gallery museum, you look at a Warhol, for instance. Uh, you know, if you're five years old, you can appreciate the piece because, you know, it's a face. If it's like, say, his Marilyn Monroe, it's of a certain scale. So you can kind of interact with it. There's colors to play and all that sort of thing. Like, that's, I wouldn't say the most base level, but 
the most easily experienced. Mm-hmm. Then you go behind that and you know who Marilyn Monroe is. Then you go behind that and you look at his process. And you go behind that and you know who the person is and appropriation and blah, 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 blah. So that's what I call onioning. And I tried to design with onioning in it so you can pick up an object and appreciate it at that kind of core visual, um, sexy, attractive level of sexy as in you want to buy it or you want to own it. Um, mm-hmm. The collector in me speaking. But the more you get into it, if you want to, you can kind of peel those layers back and just kind of see more conceptualism within it. So um, I guess that's kind of more a beefier sort of conceptualism than just like some just pure expression with a couple of pieces of string. Yeah. On the wall. Although I did that as well. It's a series called the uh, Conceptuals, uh, which is kind of packaged like cereal, and a couple others. That the package is exactly what it says it is. Mm-hmm. I did one where I made the art, and it says the art for this package, chewed up, spit out, and dried, and put in a, in a blister. Now, don't quote me. That's not exactly it. So, designed that, printed it out, chewed it up, spit it out, dried it off. I, I also sanitized it with mm-hmm. one of those UV things. And then you put it in the blister, and then the art is printed as well. So you have it what it says it is. So um, I also did one called Madonna's True Blue Cassette Broken into Two Pieces so it will fit into this package. So I took Madonna's True Blue Cassette, snapped it in half because it wouldn't fit into the bubble otherwise. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the conceptual part is making it conform within that space but making it useless at the same time that you did that but at the same time you ch- you change it to a different type of product which interacts with the text as well mm-hmm. see this is viewing yeah. art in a way that i don't view art um, for the longest time in my life um and i i think action figures and and toy art has kind of pulled me out of this I would, um, we, I mean, everyone has seen those paintings when you go to a museum and the canvas is just one color. It's like all black or all white or something. And the initial thought is like, what the hell? Like, why is anybody, anybody can do that. Right. Uh, But what you're doing for me is kind of unlocking more things. And I think I've had to do that. There was a process behind it. There was an artist that felt something that needed to be done. And I think that that has happened through toys. And I think that you are also talking about that in the, especially the the cassette snapping. Like that is, in my head, it's like, oh, you just put cassette pieces in a blister. But there's there's a form to it that it is valuable yet useless. It's it's and it's about process yeah. as well. Uh, all of them, Jenny as well. It's about movement and the process, and you know it's about making art as as well. We can talk about you know get into AR art as well. Is AR for me used morally, responsibly, and artistically is is a process like anything else. And um, sorry, I keep getting off on tangents. When no, you speak of, like when you speak of painting or or drawing or something of that nature, it's what I call a very one to one sort of thing. You make one gesture and you you end up with one line, and you kind of build things up in in that way. It just it's just kind of it's very 
feedback orientated and um, things of that nature. And working with AI is kind of, it's very different. Um, it's not a one-to-one sort of thing. With, uh, there's a quote I have, and that's in the back of every Jenny package. There's a Jenny for that. Um, so, so I do have a Jenny that describes that. It's not currently posted, um, but I think it's called Graffiti Jenny. And it deals with that kind of process of marking, because graffiti is marking, and how that marking translates into uh, expression, so mm -hmm. to speak. And the works I make, I don't like to. I don't like to do multiples. I will do multiples. So I prefer to do single pieces, because it's that act of marking, that act of creating, and instilling within. The blister, as well as the package, this this kind of like psychic energy and kind of conceptual. But I think of the artist Joseph Cornell as well. Um, he it's kind of hard to describe his work, but basically he worked within finite spaces. He would have little boxes and he would build things within boxes, and he would limit himself to that little finite space that he could work in. It's like, and it's even more of a challenge, obviously. With I don't know the exact dimensions off my head, but a blister. It's like you have to do a sculpture within this finite amount of space. And the challenge and the attraction to me and why I keep doing these, I think, within this scale is how can I, with an economy of, um, maybe economy is the wrong word, um, within a finite amount of space, kind of have something which has meaning in it. And I think that's where it has to dance with the visuals as well in order to kind of break out of that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so I want to get to the Jenny project because the more that you talk about it and describe it, I'm increasingly interested. Uh, but before we get there, tell me about – and correct me if I'm not saying this correctly um, – the trite sublimates. Is mm -hmm. that how you say it? Yeah. Um, so – with, with, that's, that. with, with that's um well i had like like done like these figures and sounds a little bit i've done all these figures and stuff and worked for a number of years and then i started to see i never remember the community i never like searched it out or anything like that but then i said well maybe i should start to search out a little bit so i, I reached out to dove and uh, he was quite just very excited about what i was talking about what i was doing and i said well I like to do one for you, and I pretty much just like to. And I'm not sure if it's new or not. I don't follow other people's work. I just kind of want to strip it down to its um, bare essence. So you basically have the you know the square cardstock, and you have the bubble. And the first trite supplement was basically a piece of watered up piece of paper that was put in to that blister, and then the package itself is a representation of that same piece of paper. That had been watered up and then flattened out again, photographed. Um, so it spoke of process, simplicity. There was no text on it whatsoever, except for he made me put some on the back because you know we have to sign them and limit it mm. and that sort of thing. Um, so it just seemed kind of pure. And then I just I did I did one in wood, did one in uh, foam, and I think that's pretty much. I don't say why it's coarse, um, but. There's going to be, I'm not sure how much I could say, there's going to be a couple more, but it's going to be kind of wrapped up in a kind of a unique way. Um, but yeah, the first one I did was just um, 
meant to be like have kind of like a that kind of purity of, of expression it is um i remember seeing your piece and i remember being in the show and and seeing it come out and i had no concept of what was happening i just remember saying like because uh, we like you you struggle through in resin casting and 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 um mold making and all that stuff and painting and design of the back like all the things we're trying to achieve the uh like the commercial status right like you're trying to create something that you could find on a shelf or something that looks good or has a gag to it yours had a different vibe when i saw it that i was very interested in the idea that they, that it was about something that wasn't there. Like it was about a process or it was about something. Um, because for, I mean, even now when I create something, it's about the thing. It's about the toy. Like it's not about mm -hmm. me. It's And so um, it was just a different take that I hadn't seen. And so I'm really pumped that Dove was really interested in it as well. Um, he seems to always know like, the right people and, and, and knows like who's going to create magic and you did, and you've done several editions uh, of this, which is awesome. So when you're designing this, um, well, and, and alongside that, I'll do some more, I don't want to say um, approachable ones. Like the star Wars hair for me, was kind of like a compromise. It's like, you know, yeah. I realize I realize it's compromise in a good way. Cause I realize that star Wars mm -hmm. is a big part of this. If, if not, Pretty much all of it and i just kind of want it's like all right well if i didn't want to do something with star wars what could i do so i'm always um working with um juxtapositions i, I like the idea of something that has value a juxtaposed with something which has no value whatsoever something that's um very attractive uh like with the jenny project it kind of deals with a lot of these opposites right well she um, is a female and has certain attributes, although she's a hundred different um, people as well. But the more attractive she is visually, the more vile she is underneath the surface, or the more vile she is on the surface, the more essentially she's kind of executed. So it's this attraction repulsion thing for me, mm -hmm. uh, which is always at play. So with the Star Wars hair, that seemed to make sense. Um, I like that we're kind of going in progression because Star Wars hair was next on my like so, thing to talk to you about. I don't know. There's something like repellent about just hair sitting on the ground or something because you don't know who whose it is. Yeah, well, there's there's two things that are repellent about that, and I don't know that um, if you intended it or not. I don't know the process behind it. You and I kind of dabbled in talking about the use of AI, um, and I, you know, I if I'm being absolutely candid, I still haven't, I haven't done the work. I've asked certain people that I trust to kind of like walk me through like what problems, whatever. And um, because I trust them, I valued their opinion. And I immediately was like, Oh, I get why this is not a great thing. I get it. Mm -hmm. um, and then working and um, like interviewing, I brought on a, a, an AI artist and that's having, some of his work turned into toys, uh, and it was cool to talk to him because it's a process that I don't understand. I it, like it takes work to do all of that. Well, I and, I am not an AI artist. I am right. an artist that uses AI, and I'll, right. I'll, it's something that 
I'll probably keep repeating and repeating and repeating until it doesn't need repeating anymore, which probably could be years. But, you know, I'm more of a traditional artist. I, I, I understand why people are threatened uh, or dismissive and, and that sort of thing. And I think one of the core reasons is like, you know, an artist does put in the time. You have a certain mm -hmm. amount of skill. Uh, you know, every, you know, you do those one-to-one -one markings. You have to do thousands and millions of them to you know train yourself and to kind of work up this whole thing so I, I think part of it is that ai kind of circumvents a lot of that um, you know i'm not saying ai has got it all worked out but you can you does some incredible things but mm -hmm. it's easy to dis dismiss because it is easy it's like uh, you know i don't do things because they're easy i do them hard and it's very hard to work with ai i've lost friends over this um yeah but I'm like, whatever. It's like somebody's got to do it. So, you know, I kind of come to it's like, if I'm going to come to this from a, a serious conceptual mindset, what can I get out of it? It's like, not, you know, so pardon my French. I try to make it my bitch, so to speak. It's, it's, <laughs> it's I don't let it dictate what form is going to come out of that. And it's like getting into this other thing. I talk a lot. Uh, other things slightly, we, we talk about one AI. and AI, the way I, I, I use AI is completely different. I mean, I don't follow the discourse. I, I just be brought to a screeching halt. Um, but, and I don't use the, you know, I don't use mid journey. I use, um, it's called like, I think it's called um, dream by Wombo. So it's mm. free, it's free and it's cheap and nasty and really sleazy. And I love it for that reason. And AI is, progressing really leaps and bounds. Um, so as I talk about the Jenny project, um, I wanted to do the Jenny project right now because uh, everybody's complaining about, oh, it's got extra fingers or look, that eyeball is wonky and you know, oh, it's so fake and I can tell it's AI and that sort of thing. It's like, great, I, want, I cultivate that imperfection um, and I cherish that because I think we're at a very unique point in artistic creation when I don't know what's going to come next, but before AI, what's going on now and that narrow window before the window closes and there will no, no longer be any extra fingers. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good quote. It's like, we're in that time where there are extra fingers. Yeah. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's, what's interesting, uh, again, like in, in how we talk about this, um, Thursday night, 7 p.m. YouTube live, it's Toys Alive! Toys Alive! Toys Alive! There's way cool artist unboxing. It counts under a thousand followers. Art out there for 30 bucks or less. Collector Spotlight. Current and upcoming shows and drops. Giveaways. Short chats with artists. And news from the hood. 100% indie, all the time. That's Toys Alive! Toys Alive! Thursday night, 7 p.m. PST, YouTube Live. This podcast is a place in which I can bring on artists that use things as tools to create art. Now, that's aside from whether or not people think it's art or not. It's me bringing on artists that value that. Um, and I get to do that without having a saying in what I believe about this thing, mm -hmm. which is nice. And I like this podcast for that reason. I think what's interesting is you were talking about the grotesqueness almost of finding hair on the ground. And that piece or those pieces kind of play a, a, a dual rule a role in grotesqueness well, and, because oh, they, of the AI use there. Yeah, was, was cheesy, and it was meant it was meant to be. 
Mm -hmm. It's like, I got, I, I don't, I can't remember. There's like 20 of them or 25 of them. It's like, I don't have time to like draw Neil Patrick Harris and <laughs> yeah. And who, you know, whoever I Paris Hilton and that sort of thing. But yeah, I could work it up relatively quickly in that. And that was kind of the point. Um, and you got the bonus on the back of each one of those. I did droids as well for those. And I just kind of had fun with that. I'm not saying that's the way I use AI in every case, but in this particular instance yeah. working off the hair motif um i wanted to build up really quickly these kind of like humorous uh sketches so to speak we can call yeah. them we can call them that and i think uh you might notice it's it's, it's not just called star wars hair or whatever it's uncle larry's star wars hair mm -hmm. and i needed that character in there i tried it without it but it just seemed creepy creepy because it's like whistling pony presents you some hair so to speak <laughs> but by kind of having this like character that you're kind of you know he, he has hair of the stars and, he, and i have others i have like a debbie harry and um i i, I think i did paris hilton as well a couple yeah. guys i have a, like a whole back-end series of those so this is just kind of like another expression of that so. yeah i think uh it that secondary grotesqueness because is as people walk by it and they're like oh my gosh is that ai it just elicits something in them where they can say oh i love that or how dare you and it's just the secondary the onioning that you're talking about is coming out in all your pieces which is amazing so well, it, it should make you march should make you feel something uh i know that's a cliche but i don't care if it makes you feel mad angry happy yeah. uh if it makes you feel nothing it's you know stick it on a wall in a hotel and let's move on um but yeah i think uh yeah, my wife and I had the biggest argument uh, a couple of years ago about um, she made a statement that anything can be art. And I said, OK, um, I'll, I'll I will abide by that. But in my brain, I need because of how my brain works, I need classifications of what art can be or how we like say what is good art. And she very much is against that part. And so I said. Well, if you and I color in a coloring book, um, I can make an overarching statement that Van Gogh's painting of a peasant is is very much better than what I can do in a coloring book. And for her, she just was – it wasn't about what I was talking about. She was just trying to get me to understand that art is, like, different than just very strict lines that I was trying to draw. And so uh, it was helpful. But I uh, – uh, I think that that's why I enjoy talking to you about this is those well, strict lines are kind of wavy at this point. And kind of related to that, we can get into AI some more. It's like I, t I told you like the pre-interview, it's like I don't want to talk about AI and I don't want to talk about appropriation. Yeah. Uh, realizing that the Jenny, Jenny Project deals with that and to a large extent and, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to have to talk about it because my work does as well. Um, I did this series and you can go to um, – my Adobe portfolio to see that mm -hmm. uh, where bringing this up, it's it's kind of it's it's you kind of triggered something as as far as um every age defines its art. Mm -hmm. Not only define its art, it defines the art that came before. Uh, and I was in a museum studies class, um, and we were talking about Picasso, and I can't remember the exact parameters of it but basically someone says well he you know he was a, a 
woman abuser and that sort of thing. So I think any time that his work is displayed, there should be a, a little placard next to it, kind of mm. you know describing his status and that sort of thing. And that may or may not be true, but um, it just comes to show you. I have other things to say about that, but how the 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 person, the artist, as well as the artwork moves through time and mm. changes depending on who's lo looking at it. Um, so I did this series. Um, you know uh, who Lichtenstein is, like mm -hmm. uh, Roy yeah. Lichtenstein. He did a, a bunch of paintings. Not all he did, but he he started out doing paintings of comic book panels. And I'm kind of paraphrasing because I haven't read the exact what fors and whatnot. But you know, an artist originally did those original panels. So is is that a, a you know stealing? Is it appropriation? It all depends on who you are and and what context it's seen. For for me personally, I feel that Lichtenstein was not purposely trying to bootleg or rip off any particular artist or any particular image. You know, he was kind of as many pop artists were cultivating just all this mass-produced stuff, and he kind of latched on that as kind of like a shorthand. Mm -hmm. uh, but even though the image is somewhat similar, he's changing the scale. He's changing yeah. the medium. And by being in a gallery, it's changing the context. Uh, so it's the same, but it's not the same. So, you know, I can see both sides. So what I did is I used AI, and I found the original work. And in one case, it's a, a, a girl holding up a beach ball. That was like from an ad from the Pocono, for the Pocono Mountains or something like that, mm -hmm. from the 60s in a newspaper. He said, all right, he kind of cut that out, and he made that into a painting. And then I took that painting, and I put it through the AI, and it's like, you know, put it through. It's, it's, it's you know, quite a process if you want to make it a process. It's, it's how I work. It takes hours to do. And what comes out the other end is what I call a Jenny-fied version of that, because I use Jenny... Um, for various purposes, I, mm -hmm. she's she's kind of like a, a character, uh, like Uncle Larry is, uh, and she kind of used her as this as the surface patina on top of it. So you kind of have to see the piece to understand, but it juxtaposes the three together, where you have this piece which appropriates this piece, and then my piece which appropriates this piece which appropriates that piece, side by side, and it's using AI, which is often accused of appropriating as well, and kind of taking piecemeal other people's uh, work from here, from there. And it, it does, and I have seen it do it, but, you know, I, I'm not an idiot, and I think that any moral and responsible artist doesn't use AI straight up, so to speak. Um, um, sorry, I jump all over the place, but as I was saying before, it's not a one-to-one -one marking. I liken it more akin to working sculpturally, which is kind of how I use it. So you have a basketball and a clock and maybe a stapler on the table and the AI to a certain degree is by taking a like a rubber film and putting it over that and you still have you know the artist still dictates the form and the specificity of the surface but the AI is used to kind of you know in a pop art or a collage sort of way kind of get that kind of specificity of surface patinaed on top of that uh, and that's what attracts me to it. And you can work quickly. And but so it's more sculptural. It's like about like moving clay and forming it. 
as opposed to using a pen where you just get one line for one movement. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Sorry so, for getting off topic, but <laughs> no, no. The, you. This is the perfect conversation for a podcast. I enjoy it. I like going off on tangents. We've brought up the Jenny Project a couple times, and I think in talking off camera, we've talked about the Jenny Project a little bit. Um, I want to do a couple things with this so that people understand what this is. One, can you kind of define what this project was and give me parameters and then tell me uh, the extent of what this project looks like? Well, I could say where it came from. Great. Is, um you know, I was kind of, you know, doing like the action figure things and other artistic things before. And I was going for a very depressive state. Mm-hmm. And both my therapist and a friend, which I trust greatly, independently, says, you know, we'll just make art. And it's like, I don't believe in art um, in, in a therapy way. I mean, you can have therapy art, but I don't, cr- you know, I have to create for a purpose other than, for, you know, a therapeutic way. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to differentiate that so i'm like okay i'll start creating things so i did and i made conceptual ones like i talked about before i made more literal ones basically i made one a day and that was the limitation for 165 days straight mm-hmm. every day creating something new trying to do a new con- uh, new context and you know i posted those a lot on my adobe portfolio as well i think i've done about 30 of them in the past six months in addition to the jenny work Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm by kind of scattered base. I can't think of specific examples now, but I'm kind of like, well, um, after a while, so I did like 160 of them and it became exhausting. So I said, well, I need more limitations. I mean, you have the limitations of the card art, which has to fit within there. And you have mm-hmm. limitations of what has to fit in the blister. And it's like, okay, so let's codify this a bit more. So I kind of came up with the, the Jenny idea, which she had existed before, uh, I kind of use her as a, um, like Uncle Larry, as kind of like a presenter. She's kind of like the face of this, or sometimes I'll actually just use um, art that I've mm-hmm. kind of, you, you know what I, you know, the photographs. And yeah. The, it's kind of like the, you take photographs and she's like, um, she's kind of posing and whatnot. Uh, I just would call that a Jenny, and she wouldn't, wouldn't be one particular person. It would just kind of be like this kind of motif. So the Jenny was a further limiter, and the 100, it's called the 100 Jenny's Project, is a limiter as well. Uh, otherwise, it would just be like an insane amount, and there are a insane amount of Jennies uh, that go beyond the 100. Uh, so it's kind of hard to describe. Uh, I had almost finished the project when I discovered, when I stumbled into AI, and I just started messing around with it. And there was this kind of, I think I have a quote on that, if I may. I'm working on a book, which hopefully will be out this year. Awesome. It's called The 100 Jenny's Project, the book. Uh, and if you buy that, then you will get a, the Jenny 101 as well. She kind of comes sold with that as well. It's like, when I began the Jenny Project in the summer of 2021, I have no intention of incorporating AI into the creative process. Uh, as the first part project was nearly finished, I began on a whim tinkering with the tool. Almost immediately, I felt a synergy that was simultaneously liberating and troublesome. The results I were getting was exactly what I was after. I freely admit that at the time, I felt a palatable aversion to the thing, even as I explored its possibilities, and I still do. Uh, 
it's this weird kind of dichotomy moving in me, which I think is healthy as well. Um, the uncertainty and soul set lasted for, it, for about a week, and then I got over it. The harmony between the method and the subject was just too strong to pass on. So, and then although elsewhere, I write about AI in the book and one other quote on that. It's not a tool for everyone, nor is it optimal for all forms of art. It's not going to replace well-crafted things and the people that make them. But in this case, for this project, it makes sense. It's my hope that the, the Jenny's project may inspire more nuances for us among those that create art. So that's just part of the introduction from the book and that's how that introduction ends. So, um, I hope that makes sense. It's, yeah. I often say, if I could describe art completely, there would be no reason to make it. Um, right. That, I, I know that's kind of like a, a cop out there. Um, so there are 100 Jennies. I posted 15 of them on my um, Adobe portfolio. They're all done. And basically, um, each one kind of explores a different nuance of a person. And they all just happen to be female. And they just happen to be like about the same age. But some are from like the distant past, and others are from the distant future. Many are from from right now, and it's not some stupid. Don't say stupid, but it's not some like Marvel multiverse sort of thing where yeah. it's the same person many times. It it exists neither in parallel universe nor in this universe. She's kind of allegorical, and there's many layers on top of it. And I think the goal is to keep it to keep it simple. When you see a Jenny. They're all portraits, mm -hmm. and you know if all they're all portraits, and they're meant to kind of ex express a different thing. But there are sometimes um, text involved with it. Sometimes I have a, a more traditional sort of action figure thing where it'll have a title on it, and you will see, you will see like vestigial like uh, for ages four and up, or or like a sticker or something like that. Sometimes it appears, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes in some large. It's more about, um, as you're talking about earlier, kind of evoking the spirit of the thing, of a product, without actually being a product. Um, but Jenny deals a lot with um, masking, and, and masks is, is a major theme as well. Not, not in a COVID sort of way, but in about... Um, Here's where, if, if you look at one, you could see right away, like almost every Jenny, like 98% of them is wearing a mask of some sort. Sometimes mm -hmm. she is the mask. Um, sometimes as little as a pair of glasses is, is, is something that is a, a mask between you and the viewer, so, so to speak. And it has to do with, you know, the gaze of, of you're gazing at her, but quite often she gazes at you and she has... Um, she has different forms. Uh, I realized after a while I needed a specific Jenny, which I call the Jenny Prime. Mm -hmm. And she has a very specific set of attributes. And I'm quite proud, proud of this. It's like if you worked with AI before, you know, it, it's kind of like, it's like a divining rod, if, if you know what that is, when you're, mm -hmm. you're trying to find water using one of those. There's a Jenny for that as well. It's, it's called Divining Jenny. And uh, it's kind of like you have it, and it's kind of, you kind of can't tell where the water is exactly, but you're working towards that water. And uh, it's work AI is kind of like that as well as you can see your vision and it's moving towards it to get there. And I think the Jenny, if, if I can get like 
you know, quote too many artists. It's like, you know how, um, who's that sculpture that says the sculpture is in the block and um, mm. I'm just merely releasing it. God, God has put it there and I'm merely releasing it. There's a Jenny for that as well. It's called Jenny from the block. And um, <laughs> so I can sense Jenny like, like within myself that yeah. wants to be put there. And I can sense it within that kind of weird kind of quantum AI state of, you know, never being like any place. And mm -hmm. um, it deals with chance a lot as well. There's many Jennies that deal with that because I'm kind of a fan of Duchamp and chance. Um, we talk about network of stoppages. There's a network of stoppages of Jennies. And AI is a lot about chance. It's about it's rolling dice to a certain degree, but it's, it's kind of loading the dice. But it's not just about that. And I never use AI imagery as it's spewed out. It's, mm -hmm. it's about forming it to begin with. It comes out, you reform it, rework it, set it back through, and it's just kind of like just kind of, you know, a molding process, uh, as I said. Uh, so Jenny is partially about that relationship with using AI itself. It's about um, marking and process and the mask and what is the mask? Is, is it the self? Because uh, there's two types of masks. The mask can cover things up, mm -hmm. so you can't see the individual. But masks, you know, in like traditional sense as well, um, like an African mask or something of that nature, it is empowering. You wear the mask and you become more than what you were, or spirits enter within you. Um, or relating back to kaiju and that sort of thing, as as we discussed before the spirit of the thing is in the costume and you're not supposed to see it as a costume you're supposed to see it as it represents and jenny is in the same way a mask which represents a different set of ideas yeah uh, i don't know if i'm getting too but what's no good? this keep, is good keep in mind that there's onioning involved so when you see a jenny how do you feel about that how do you feel about the marilyn monroe face then you can dig deeper than that on the back of each one, it's kind of relegated to that space. It's kind of my interpretation of why this Jenny exists. Sometimes it's a shitty poem. Sometimes it's a little allegorical story. Um, sometimes it's just a quote that which just seems to kind of do that. But that's completely optional and my take on it. And the goal, Jenny is kind of not, it's, I'm really bad at selling things, um, but she's not meant to be put in a store and sold like something like that. It's in, and not to sound waity toyed or anything. She's more meant for that kind of that white wall of the gallery. That that's the, the type of person that does not typically might not collect action figures and might not even know what it is. I'm kind of using the form, so to speak. So it, it's my goal. And if anybody knows of a venue that can handle it, I kind of envision all one of these hundred jetties at once. And I think mm -hmm. it takes some ungodly amount of, of room, but I'm just one next to the other, next to the other. Too many to actually kind of assimilate in one bite, um, uh, which is part of it as well. So there's the individual, there's the biographical, sometimes the autobiographical, because it's, you know, basically all portraits are self-portraits. And I didn't think I'd come up with that one, but it, it's kind of true in a sense. Uh, whatever the artist kind of puts down that you see in others, you're also kind of marking as yourself as well deals with death a lot um, and 
the transcendence or the movement from one space to another um, is often a theme. It seems well. like the Jenny project is all encapsulated. Like it, so much goes into this as far as what you see, the concepts behind it, as far as uh, the, uh, the hundred, which is a crazy amount of work that's been done. Um, and now a book and now the hundred and one that you're getting um, that like, that is so much work that has gone into this project. And I won't lie, um, it's kind of been difficult using AI, just, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't get into it too much. I struggle with it with it daily. It's like, I know a lot of artists don't even think of it at all. It's just completely dismiss it. That's not art and, and just kind of do that. And then there are other artists that use it happily. Um, I'm kind of completely split um, down the middle and I just try to be true to myself and to the image. And I know what I create is so, worked and worked and worked and worked and worked that any sort of if it if it comes from any sort of other source as far as appropriation and, and that sort of thing i feel very confident that that jenny is is unique unto herself mm -hmm. it's you know it's... yeah when um you look over the jenny project and your art and working with Dove and the different conceptual pieces you've done and how you've moved from oil to now abstract mainly. Where do you see your art progressing and pushing forward towards? I don't know. Um, I like it that way. Um, yeah. I quote artists a lot. It's like um, sometimes you get asked, what, what's your favorite piece? And, and Picasso said, the next one. Which is true for me as well. I, I just kind of make these things and I kind of throw them aside and I just do the other. So, because once again, it's the process to me. It's like I really kind of um, not too good at marketing, uh, but whatever. Well, so, what's next? I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's going to be for now, I'm happy with mm -hmm. that kind of limitations. I like working with limitations and within that format, so to speak. But I've been working more on breaking down. Uh, language, uh, using English as English, but with the words come out of the mouth and sound a certain way. But I put I put them up. There's a, a, a series of three I did on the subject of Timu. Mm -hmm. So I went on to Timu and you know all the kind of trashy um, photographs they have on there yeah. and that sort of thing. Kind of work with that, and I just work with words and kind of just kind of rearrange them. So they looked visually pleasing and they sound visually pleasing and they kind of look like words that are supposed to have meaning, mm -hmm. but they really don't have meaning other than the fact that they're words that sound a certain way. Yeah. And um, if I may, it's like I, I um, met an artist once he came to our college who um, did, did a series called Endangered Alphabets. Mm -hmm. And what he would do is he would take new, newly extinct languages and he would transcribe if that's the right he would mark them in wood and then these wood panels uh would become not only a documentation of an extinct language but also an object unto themselves and mm -hmm. he was speaking about language in terms of a lot of early languages so he kind of working with these languages a lot he saw them in kind of a visual way uh, as the, the written word 
And he said a lot of early languages are really Baroque, and they have all these extra sharp lines and, and frilly bits on them uh, and angles. It's like you think of like uh, rune, rune writing and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's very angular, and it has to be because once again, we talk about marking. You have to mark that in stone or wood, so you don't want to do all these kind of curvy lines and that sort of thing. You want to keep it as angular as possible. But he says a lot of these earlier languages were a lot more um, fluted and with, and with extra ex- appendages and whatnot because it was kind of a religious um, experience to kind of transcribe a thought mm-hmm. by marking in that way. But he says um, as languages become more modern, such as modern English, you look at modern English, it's like the letter P or something, it's very kind of bulbous, uh, letter J and, and things like that. For the most part, it's very simplified. Um, and he says, well, he kind of li- likens it to like um, language written down as like a stone in a river. And the stone starts out all jagged and with a lot of like extra appendages coming out. But as it rolls, it becomes smoother and smoother. And English, as it's written today, is kind of like that smooth stone with like a lot of that extra kind of things just kind of worn away from it. And I'm not saying there's a one-to-one correlation with written English and that sort of thing, but um, I just thought that was an interesting concept as far as um, marking goes. So mm-hmm. that being said, I think the future is going to be what you see now, not necessarily Jenny, but the way I'm kind of working with the action figure format is more jaggy than it will be in the future. That's pretty mm. much as, as far as I can extrapolate it. Um, yeah. Holy moly. It has been so good having you on the podcast. I, uh, yeah, talking intellectually about toys and art is uh, always um mind-bending for me because i don't get to do it that often um the last part of the podcast before you and i step into like a a, a segment after it's called the nitty-gritty um but the last part of this part of it is uh where we just give you the opportunity to plug everything that's coming up everything that you uh want people to know about how they get in touch with you all that stuff so this is your moment let's plug it all Ugh, I hate that. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm not very good at social media either. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. If you go to Instagram, I just um, set up a whole link tree there, which will send you to my DK exclusives, as well as my uh, Adobe portfolio. Please check that out, because that's very comprehensive as to what I'm working on there. Uh, and there's a little store I set up, and specific links so there's a specific link just to the, the jenny's project which i'll be kind of rolling out more of those um, slowly and that sort of thing. awesome that's it okay.